Hey everyone, welcome to The Leadership Locker. My name is Rich Cardona and on this podcast, we dig through the lessons of today's most exceptional leaders to help you break through your barriers. If you're trying to progress your career, if you are trying to accelerate your entrepreneurial journey, which I know you all are, if you're looking to have a smoother transition out of the military because it is incredibly difficult, then you're in the right place. My guests and I are going to give you the tools and the resources to accelerate your curve, help you surge, and just crush it. So here we go. In this episode of The Leadership Locker, I have Jordan Syed on. Uh, I am part, full disclosure, I am part of his inner circle community. Uh, He's a personal trainer and he and Susan Niebergall have the most killer content on any social media platform when it comes to fitness because it's real, it's fun, and it's just like so to the point, no bullshit. Uh, I asked him to come on to talk about how it is to lose your identity uh, after the military and, and what it's like to just be like, wait a second, like I used to get paid to work out. How can I get back in the rhythm after I've been freaking off for so long? So please enjoy this episode with Jordan and he's got some special offers for you at the end. All right, everyone. So we are back, Leadership Locker. Uh, I am here with a special guest. I feel like every guest is special, but this is a this is a topic I haven't covered yet, and it's incredibly important to me. And I feel like I have the ideal guest uh, to talk about it with, uh, just because of how he is and what he does. Uh, and I'm going to let you introduce yourself real quick. Uh, if you could just tell us who you are and what you do. Yeah, man. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, my name's Jordan Syatt. I'm basically a uh, massive Harry Potter nerd. I'm a big fan of fitness and deadlifts and coffee and uh, basically just try and give as much information away as I can on various social media platforms, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, just to try and help people achieve their fitness goals. Yeah. Uh, and that's an understatement. Like I, you know, it's obviously accurate, but I remember what, right when someone's like, you don't follow Jordan. I'm like, <laughs> what? I was like, whatever. So I go on and I'm like, holy shit, this dude's like nearing 500k Instagram followers. And now I think you're like near 600. It's just crazy how fast it's been growing. Uh, and I'll just tell everyone who doesn't know you, Jordan, and I told him right before we started recording, his approach to fitness and nutrition is unlike anyone else. Like it is not your cut and dry bullshit. It is, uh, you know, you can't, you can't fucking lose, you know, essentially when it comes to this, like, unless you quit, you can't lose. You talk very specifically about the caloric deficit and you just pound that over and over and over. You want people to be happy and not, you know, completely and always calorie count and all this other stuff. But more importantly, your Facebook group, I'm in your inner circle. So, uh, your Facebook group is insane. Like it is the most open group like what I mean is the way people share things. And that's because you and Susan have fostered an environment where people feel safe. No one's going to judge them. I mean, there's people being like, here's my first pull up. There's someone who's like, I lost 30 pounds. And then there's you who's like, I'm going to eat a Big Mac a day <laughs> for 30 days straight. And you lost how you ended up losing seven pounds. Seven pounds. Yep, exactly. It's insane. Anyway, so we could go on about all that stuff, but I want to get into the the real stuff, which is the purpose of this show, which is to talk to transitioning service members and veteran entrepreneurs and to just kind of inspire them. Um, And I do that through talking to people like you, whom I consider an influencer, executives, and all that other stuff. So the reason um, 
I wanted to have you on is because in the military, whether you know, actually, do you have anyone in your family that's ever served? Yeah, actually, a number of people, many, many people in my family have, yeah. Uh, In here in the United States or? Yep, here in the U.S. Oh, sweet, sweet. So, you know, so you know some, and I didn't know that, uh, obviously, I just asked you, but physical fitness is a part of your job, like period, point blank. Uh, My wife, we were joking, she was in the army, we were laughing the other day, she goes, when I met you, I was like, this dude goes and works out during lunch i'm like the marine corps the marine corps like takes it really seriously like you pick your pt hours when you can and all that other stuff so all the things you don't know or, or, or need to know is this we have height and weight standards which are kind of crazy uh some of some of the metrics there you got to look good in uniform and more importantly you got to be ready to do your job depending on if it's a combat arms position or whatever it may be like you got to be in shape when you leave jordan a lot of what I've seen is that part of us, our, our identity goes away. Part of that is the camaraderie. Part of that is losing your tribe. Part of that is not knowing what to expect, not having a mission. But the biggest thing I see is that usually almost always happens that we gain a fuck ton of weight, you know, and we kind of lose it. Like it used to be part of your job. It used to be part of your culture. Now you're alone and afraid, I would say, not unafraid. And I want to ask you about how we attach fitness and the way we look and the way we are presentable to our identities and what your take is on that since you deal with it a lot. Yeah. You mean, I mean, I haven't spoken with service members about this. No, that's the point. That's the point. Like, uh, you know, I want, I want to get it fresh, like how you see it. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting. I don't think anyone's ever asked me that question directly in terms of how we attach our identity to how we look. But I mean, I think it's, it's very clear is it's like, it's very clear that we do. And I think it's, uh, it's an interesting topic because there's a lot of different factors at play, right? There's like societal factors at play. There's like, there's just individual insecurity factors at play. And I think obviously societal factors and then our own insecurity factors, they're, they're like arguably one and the same. Right. They're like, oftentimes like we conflate the two, but really they are often one and the same. Um, you know, and it, it depends on what you want to talk about in terms of like, I think one of the most important lessons that I've learned about this is even if someone on the outside looks super fit, even if somebody looks like they're just like, they must, they must feel so confident. They must feel absolutely amazing. They like, they must not have any insecurities. I mean, I've worked with some people who are either like high, high, high end models or Mm. physique competitors. And oftentimes they have the worst body images in the world. And it's just really interesting. It sort of goes into, you never know who's struggling with PTSD, right? You never know who's struggling with just based on how they look. Mm -hmm. Um, There's so much you can't tell about an individual just basing it on how they look on the outside. And this is definitely one of them. It's like, I think... We see one thing when we look at other people, but when we look at ourselves, it's very easy to pick out our like things that we're the most insecure about things that like we see over and over and over again and almost even make them into bigger things than they actually are. So I mean, you just, you never know what someone else is going through. And a lot of times the things that you pick out on yourself are like things, they might not even really exist. Mm -hmm. Things that like you almost make up in your head to be much bigger and more pronounced than they are, than they really are. So like a lot of your inner circle members or the people you've coached and all the Instagram content you put out, I mean, you, you are one of the few, few people who's forever like, ask me anything, ask me anything. Like when you're traveling and you just like answer so many questions. Um, when it comes to people who are not fit 
who have never necessarily been fit. Um, and you know, they're, they're just like, they look at everyone else, like they're winning, right? Like, Oh, that everyone else is winning. And I'm just like, I, I'm a piece of shit. Now I want you to try and imagine, uh, you know, someone who was in shape and now is out of shape. And one of my biggest fears personally, and I, I know I'm saying this because I know a lot of people could relate is that you never want to look like someone who didn't serve. Like you never want to be like, yeah, I was in the army and be like, you were in the army. Like, God, <laughs> damn, you were, you were. So, so anyway, so we lose it, so to speak. What is the easiest way for us, in your opinion, to kind of reestablish just like the regimen and, and just get out of our own heads to be like, look, I, I, I was once there, you know, like I just need to get back in. Like, what do you think uh, plays into that? You know, what's really interesting is, and I see this with whether it's service people, I see this with people who, who are physique competitors or are models. A lot of times the, the body that they had when they were at their peak was, was achieved and maintained through completely unrealistic measures that are not possible to replicate in your everyday life either when you are just living a regular civilian life or when you are like not trying to step on stage for like after an outrageous peaking competition. And so I think the first and foremost thing you have to understand is just because you might not get back to where you were when you were living this completely and utterly unrealistic lifestyle doesn't mean that you can't radically improve. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean that you have to do the same thing as you did then to achieve what your goals are. Mm-hmm. What you just did, you did one way of achieving it, which was a very rigid, regimented, strict, outrageous approach. It's like, that's, that's just not realistic. And, and it's not the only way to do it. I think it's probably the most important thing for people to understand is just because you did it one way doesn't mean there's 15 other ways you can do it in a, in a more um, sustainable fashion, in a more enjoyable fashion. I think- yeah. I, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Especially coming from that background of like a service background, a lot of times the the, the mentality is you either do it or you don't. Like you're either going to do it or you're not going to do it, and like that's it. And when that's your mentality, you often think, well, that's the only way to do it. And if I'm not going to do it like that, I'm not going to do anything at all. And mm-hmm. it's a very defeatist, reductionist way to look at things. <laughs> it's like that's just not how it works. There are many ways to do it and you, it doesn't have to be all in or all out. You can absolutely do it in a more sustainable way. And I think that's really the most important thing to understand from the beginning. Cause if you go into it thinking that you have to be doing it like you were when you were serving then you're going to set yourself up for failure. Um, I mean, that's so dead on. <laughs> I mean, I have this document. I wrote every single thing I did when I was deployed and I'm like, I, I just got to do that, you know? And I had at times 70 minutes a day to work out. I was drinking an insane amount of water. I couldn't drink alcohol, um, you know, and just this, I was getting more sleep than ever, believe it or not, you know, like when I was deployed because I was a pilot. So we had the kind of certain restrictions. So, you know, it was just crazy. But I was like, literally, I have, I have that picture. And I'm just like, man, like, I just need to get back. I just need to get back to that. Um, so, Okay, so sustainability. You're very, very big on sustainability. And then one of your, your most important mottos that is my favorite thing I've ever heard is just like, you can't fuck this up. Um, the trajectory is a lot slower than people think. Uh, let's just remove the fact of the service aspect of it altogether. And it's just like, okay, I am, I'm now going to try and take this seriously. Uh, what are a couple of ways people will really set themselves up for failure? Or more importantly, what are some of the key mindset 
pieces they need to know to be like, this sustainable journey is going to be long and hard. Yeah. I mean, I think that the biggest mistakes that people make are oftentimes they try and I think one of the biggest ones is like, well, I'm just going to do this to kickstart it. Right. Like something like really fast, really quick. I'm going to, I'm just going to, I don't know, like something recently I've seen a lot and I've been getting a lot of questions on are these water fasts. What do you think about these like 72 hour water fasts? Or what do you yeah, think I about think this, uh, like, Tom Villu does those. I think, yeah, there's a couple people I've seen. It's so outrageously stupid for so many reasons. Like <laughs> not to mention so many of the people who do it, what will end up happening is they might do it completely. They might do a 72 hour water fast. They might lose a lot of weight and then they'll binge. They'll just have a massive, outrageous binge for a day, two days a week, and completely undo all their progress, if not worse. And then now they're stuck in a cycle of, well, I have to do this in order to reach those goals. So the three-day water fast, binge for a week, three-day water fast, binge for a week, it's just a terrible, terrible cycle to go in. And the reality is, if you get out of the, I'm just going to kickstart it mindset, and just, yeah. you know what, you don't have to kickstart it. Like, this isn't a motorcycle, just fucking go nice and slow, and I think that's really the most important thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, you see this with juice cleanses. You see this with, with like, outrageous I love your fat loss pills. You're, you love doing the fat loss pills at GNC. Talk to me about a couple of the skits you've done for fat loss pills because clearly they're legit. <laughs> <laughs> I think the, the one that really went bonkers was uh, I went into a bunch of GNCs and vitamin shops all over New York City and I just pretended to be this like Johnny Bag of Donuts jersey boy character and i went tall and i basically just asked them like well what do these cleanses do like how does this work and they would say the most ridiculous shit just like and and the point wasn't to highlight that the workers were bad because it wasn't like the workers they were just doing their job yep it's it's more of the people making those products that are making these claims that are completely utterly false and then also the stores that are allowing them to be sold Mm -hmm. um there's, it's just not, it doesn't work. It's not yeah. accurate that they don't actually help. And I think that, and this also works in the, in the workout spectrum, like P90X or these outrageous workouts. There's muscle confusion. <laughs> yeah. It's like muscle confusion, but like, we're going to work out seven days a week, every day for 90 minutes a day. It's like, okay, cool. Then what happens when 90 days is up? Like now what, what, like, what do you do? It's like, if you, if you go into it, giving it a, such an extreme, outrageously intense, that like process then how do you progress Hmm. the only place to go is to do less that's it that's the only way to go you can't keep doing more keep doing more even if it's even if it's your full-time job what happens if you get injured right Hmm. it's like what do you do you just assume that like well it's all hope is lost because like you might have hurt yourself it's like there are so many ways to do this that aren't going to be outrageously strict and regimented to the point where like you're just you're just burying yourself into the ground Yep. Um, you had a post recently, um, and I think you said you lost, or, or it was an example of someone like lost this many pounds this month, lost this, or this week, lost this many pounds the next week, and whatever. And you're like, if it continued at this rate, that person would lose 100 pounds, and they weigh, they yep. weigh 200 pounds or something like that. Can you talk to me about the expectations? Um, you know, so are there any kind of bona fide, like, What's the word I'm looking for? You should, you know, acceptable, not acceptable. This is, this is a good trend losing this much a week, but, but having the expectation management to realize like that shit is going to plateau and then you're kind of going to be in a, a, maybe a maintenance phase or something like that. Yeah. Well, I think one area that people really overlook the how many pounds a week is they forget that it's an average, 
right? And an average doesn't mean that you're going to see that same loss every single week. It means that when you look at it over the course of, we'll call it 16 weeks, then your average would be the same. So like, but that doesn't mean that on week 12 and week 15 and week 17, that like you're going to keep losing at that one pound. It might mean that just at the end of the overall process, you'll have seen that the average was that. Mm -hmm. So like for me, I say generally speaking, an average of about half a pound to one pound a week is a really, really good place to shoot for. You can go up to two pounds, but that's a lot. And it's, it's usually for whatever reason, just being humans, when they hear the top end, they often just immediately go, well, oh, that's how much I have to lose. Mm -hmm. And so like, I usually say half a pound to one pound. I think it's more realistic and more people are more likely to follow it. But what I always say is if you lost a pound a week for a year, that's 52 pounds, right? It's 52 pounds. And then in two years, that's 104 pounds. That's at a pound a week average. That's just, that's insane. And a lot of people don't have that much to lose at all. <laughs> it's like, then from there, if you're doing this for, let's call it 16 weeks, you're losing a pound a week. But then on like, let's say usually the first week you'll lose more weight than usual. Like the first week you might lose instead of like one pound, you might lose like four or five pounds because there's actually there's water, there's stomach content, there's all this other stuff. And then the next week, instead of, instead of losing five pounds, maybe you lose three pounds. So now like you're eight pounds down in the first two weeks. Then from there, then on week three, you might not lose anything at all. And then you feel like, like shit. And you feel like shit. Like I didn't lose anything this week. What the fuck? It's like, well, hold on. You're three weeks in and you're eight pounds down. You could literally lose nothing for the next five weeks and still be on that one pound a week average trend. And it's I always say that because it's like, you could literally lose, stay exactly where you are for the next five weeks. And that is still a pound a week on average. And people really forget that because it's that average part that you have to really, really pay attention to. It's an average. It's not an absolute weekly loss. Um, can you talk to me a little bit about non-scale victories? I mean, there's a bunch of us in the, in the inner circle, you know, who like, Hey, I got to pull up or whatever, but how important is that to factor in? If, I mean, sometimes like, look, I, I lost the first, uh, USC I did, which if you don't know what that is, you're just going to have to join inner circle to find out. But anyway, um, so, you know, I was like, I really haven't lost shit. And then I go to New York, do a couple interviews where like, you're looking bigger. And I'm like, that's a victory. Like it's yeah. bigger, bigger in a good way. Like my arms are literally busting out of my polo. So <laughs> how, how important are those to the psyche and to take into consideration in relation to the slow, you know, burn of weight per se? It's, I mean, it's super important for, and a lot of people hear like non-scale victories and they think it's like super cheesy, but it's actually super important. Mm -hmm. uh, for me, whenever I focus on fat loss, and it's not just me personally, but like when I notice with clients, when they only focus on fat loss, they overlook so much other progress that's actually going on. There's so many other things that are happening that like are massive, massive victories. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of like, if you're, it, it's sort of like if you're only focusing on home runs as, as something good, it's like, well, all right, well, hold on. Like your on base percentage is way higher now. Like your, your runs batted in is way higher now. Like yeah. you are doing your, your stolen base percentage is ridiculous. Like you're doing so many other amazing things, but for some fucking reason, you're only looking at your home runs. It's like, that's ridiculous. Yeah. It, and, and if you're only looking at your home runs, you might be looking at how many runs you've scored because of your home runs. But if you're like total runs batted in has now gone down, that's like, that's great for you. But what about for the rest of the team? Yeah. Right. It's like, there's so many other things going on and that's whether it's getting stronger, building more muscle, 
fitting into into new clothing, um, hitting a new deadlift personal record, getting a new chin up personal record. Um, I mean, looking at, at how you feel in the mirror, your measurements, there's so many other things that are going on that, I mean, yeah. it could be like how many days, how many, how many days or how many weeks or how many months you've gone without back pain. Like yeah. there's, there's so much stuff that you could be winning with that if you're only looking at fat loss or weight loss, you're really going to screw yourself over. And that's when, how do we stay motivated? We stay motivated when we see results. And if you're, you're reducing your ability to see results based on what the scale is saying, then you're really like making it a, a much bigger opportunity for you to say, ah, fuck it. I quit. Yeah. When really you could have been making huge, huge, huge progress. So one of the fundamental pieces of everything you teach, which I think you post more than anything about, and Susan does the same, I mean, everyone does the same, is a caloric deficit or a calorie deficit. Uh, I used to be uh, absolutely opposed to macros and apps and my fitness pal and all this other shit. And I was also, dude, by the way, I also was one of those dudes who added the calories back from my workout. <laughs> I, I used to be like, cool, I earned a pizza. You know, that's not, that's not a personal pizza, but if I put my mind to it, it's a personal pizza. I'm going to crush it. You know? So it's like, I, I was that guy, but, um, you know, I now really feel like I got uh, an understanding of it and I don't have to measure everything. And I mean, don't get me wrong. I have a long way to go, but the calorie deficit, can you please just tell everyone how that is kind of pretty much the cornerstone to any kind of progress, whether it comes to your nutrition or fitness goals? Yeah. I mean, if you want to lose fat, you need to be in a calorie deficit, period. It doesn't matter. Like that's, that's, that's like the, the base of, of losing fat. And it doesn't matter if you want to do keto. It doesn't matter if you want to do uh, intermittent fasting. It doesn't matter if you want to do weight washers. It doesn't matter if you want to do, if it fits your macros, whatever it is, you can have whatever diet you want, but if you want to lose fat, you have to be in a calorie deficit, mm -hmm. period, end of story. And what is that? Yeah. It's basically, it's you're eating less than your body needs to maintain its current weight. That's, that's all it is, right? So it's like, if you want to lose weight, you have to eat fewer calories. If you want to maintain your, your weight, then you have to eat the same amount that your body burns. And if you want to gain weight, then you have to eat more. Hmm. And that's it. That's like, it's, it's almost too simple for some people. Yeah. It's like, well, no, no, that can't be it. Because like, they'll say things like, well, no, I'm already eating next to nothing. Or I already eat very, very, very little. It's like, well, with those people, you have to say, write down everything you eat for a week, like write down literally everything you eat for a week. And because it sounds childish and a lot of times they'll get upset, but it's the truth. Yes. If you look in the research, the people who consistently have trouble losing weight, they consistently underestimate how much they're eating. And similarly, the people who have trouble gaining weight, they consistently overestimate how much they're eating. And it's not until you actually write down everything you eat, are you like, oh, fuck, like, I didn't realize how much I was actually eating. So this, this, this comes to a really big point. Okay, so look, like, we'll go back to the, the veteran, right? Now I've transitioned. Now I'm at this new weird job. And now I'm a corporate guy and I'm traveling all the time. And I'm now currently myself traveling a lot. Um, I can't measure everything that I'm getting, right? Like I, if, if I'm like, shit, I'm just going to stop at Chick-fil-A or Subway or whatever, even though they have stuff you could measure. Um, what do you do in those situations to just kind of prevent not having an aptitude for what the hell you're putting in your body and you're just literally trying to stay satiated? 
so basically the, the question is like, what do you do when you can't actually measure? Yeah. And I mean, you're traveling and all that stuff. I mean, yeah, your schedule, I mean, you hear it all the time, right? Like my schedule, my schedule, my schedule, or I don't have time or I, I can't meal prep or I'm not going to bring 10 salads with me on the road, whatever it is. What, what, how do you approach that? Yeah. I mean, I would say number one is, is just being aware is massively, massively, massively important. And being aware can be, if you're going to go somewhere, if you're, if you're traveling a lot, which like I travel constantly, yeah. like if you're going to go somewhere, then you can very quickly Google how many calories are in something. Mm-hmm. A, a lot of restaurants nowadays, they have it displayed or like a lot of rest stops or airports or whatever, like they have it displayed. If they don't fucking Google it, mm-hmm. like literally it's that simple. How many calories are in this fucking, I don't know, like this sandwich or whatever, like, and it'll show right up. Yeah. It, it's, it's right there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, I mean, also just from literally from someone who travels all the time, I can't remember the last time I've been somewhere that didn't have something like Greek yogurt or hard boiled eggs mm-hmm. or, uh, or like, uh, some type of a salad or some type of like a, of a chicken sandwich, something like, like that stuff is available everywhere. Yeah. Literally everywhere. Like, especially in the U S thank God, like what a wonderful country we live in that this stuff is like available all over the place. Yep. It's like, if you're traveling constantly, like is there. And if you don't know, take your best guess in terms of Googling it. And if you still don't know, like Google somehow doesn't know that one fucking thing out of everything that Google has, then like take your best guess. That's it. And like, just it's, that's not the only thing you're going to be eating that day. Most likely definitely not the only thing you're going to be eating that week. So put it in like round up to like, if if you're not sure if it's 300 or 500 or 700, round it up to 700, Mm -hmm. do your best for the rest of the day. Like make sure you're getting your fruits and vegetables and your lean proteins in and get back on track tomorrow. Last question. Uh, well, probably the second to last question. Um, okay, I'm, I'm getting back in my regimen or I'm starting to believe in macros and a calorie deficit and I'm happy about that. Now I'm working out and PTing, but I'm going to do a thousand crunches a day because I'm going to target my abs, right? Like a six pack is going to evolve from doing and And then, you know, maybe this next week, I'm just going to do biceps all, all the time, all day, every day, because I'm going to target my biceps and that's what's going to happen. Talk to me about targeting uh, my love handles or my chest or my freaking quads or whatever. How realistic so, is that? Yeah. So if you want to choose where you lose fat, that's just not going to happen. Um, and I will say, because recently there have been some people who've been super nitpicky about it. There is research showing that you, you can spot reduce, but it's sort of like, I'm, I'm trying to think of a good analogy off the bat. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, you can spot reduce, but it's, it's like, I don't know. It, it's so minimal and so a, a ridiculous small amount that it makes, it makes zero sense. It, it, makes zero sense to do and this is coming from by the way someone who who if you could do that like if you could go and spot reduce like if you could do a thousand crunches a day to get a six pack i would be the first one doing it like a hundred percent i'd be like yes i'm doing that hundred percent because that's way easier than managing your diet yes like i would way rather yeah a thousand crunches a day for a six pack no problem absolutely i'll do that for sure i'll wake up an extra half hour early and do that no question that's not how it works like no you can't, it, you can reduce, spot reduce fat little, little, little bits, little, like maybe if you're unbelievably low body fat already and you want it a little bit, like, yes, it can help. But like, if you've got a fucking gut 
if you're above 12% body fat, like it's a waste of time. Mm-hmm. It's, and it doesn't mean that you shouldn't strength train your abs. Like sure, strength train your abs, get them stronger. Yep. But getting stronger abs does not equate to burning fat on your abs. Those are two very different things. <laughs> I love it. Uh, and then my last question, man, is, uh, you know, I, I talked a lot about our image, um, you know, whether, whether you served, whether you didn't, it doesn't matter. Uh, you know, we all, one, one of my friends, I, I always remember what he said when we were in, uh, I was getting my MBA. He goes, dude, I'm going to open up a gym called LGN. I'm like, what the hell is that? He's like, look good naked. He goes, that's all, he goes, that's all anyone wants, right? He goes, that's all anyone really wants. Like the pounds that matters, but everyone just wants to look in the mirror and be like, you know, I'm freaking down right now. Like, yeah, this is what's up. So, uh, anyway, um, but the image, um, you are unique in the fact that you are almost like a life coach in addition to all this fucking knowledge that you're spitting out. Although, I mean, I've seen you reply to so many people with like really deep, you know, mental kind of just, I don't know what the word is, just, just boosters, you know? So my last question is, is when it comes to judging ourselves for our image, you know, how can we quiet the noise even when like we are doing the best we can? And, and you said it, man, like there's people who have the best physiques and they're still like, ah, like what can we do to kind of release ourselves from that to struggle? Cause it's, it's brutal. I would say the best advice that I, that I've given on that and that's gotten the best response has been do your best to treat yourself. Like you treat your best friend right? Like whatever it is that you're saying to yourself, like imagine your best friend is saying it to you and then how you respond, right? <laughs> and, and to even take it one step further, I think the vast majority of us treat, would treat our, our worst enemy better than we treat ourselves, right? I think like a lot of times if our worst enemy came to us in a time of need and they just, they just completely just felt the need to, to divulge their deepest, darkest insecurities, how awful they feel, I have a feeling that the vast majority of us would say, you know what? You're great. Like, and and they would go out of their way to make their worst enemy feel better. Whereas a lot of times in our own head, we do, we have the exact same conversation, but we make ourselves feel worse. And so I'm not going to say treat yourself like you would treat your worst enemy, but it's (laughs) definitely something to think about because a lot of times you would treat your worst enemy actually better than you treat yourself. So imagine whatever it is you're saying to yourself, whatever, whatever feelings you're saying you're having, whatever, whatever victory you're downplaying, imagine it's actually your best friend who's saying it to you and, and treat yourself like you treat your best friend. I love that. I'm, I'm going to just take that a step further and I'm going to just admit something just flat out right here on the podcast. Uh, you know, I, I had PTSD problems and I went to, you know, um, see, see counselors and counseling and, and one of them said to me, and I was talking, I was like, I feel like I'm drinking too much. I'm taking a lot of risks. I'm being really weird right now. And she goes, well, what if eight-year-old Rich was there really down about all this stuff? Like, would you go, hey, man, go have a few drinks? <laughs> you, know, like, you wouldn't like, it, it's, we're all like, it's, it's a smaller version of ourselves is, is what we're all kind of feeling. So, so anyway, um, I, I really, I really, really love that analogy and I appreciate it. Um, I just want to say thank you, man, for everything that you do. Uh, For people who don't know, I'm going to just kind of take the lead here before I ask you to share your links. If you follow Jordan and Susan, it is far more than leadership, or I'm sorry, it's far more than nutrition, it's far more than fitness, it's it's leadership, it's mental aptitude, it's community, it's belonging, it is 
fucking Harry Potter shit. I mean, it is it is eating a Big Mac for 30 days and we get the whole freaking circle eating a Big Mac on the same day Jordan's <laughs> finishing his third day. It is head and shoulders above anything I've ever done. I feel right at home when I felt like I lost my identity and everyone accepts each other to the fullest level. Not to mention you had a freaking retreat in Austin uh, not long ago. And then I already have my ticket for next year's. Hell yeah. uh, it is, it is a, is, is, is just a community feel man. And, and when I tell people about it, they just like, God, like, all right, all right. I'm just like, you don't understand. So <laughs> if people are interested in following you and your content, uh, where can they find you? And if anyone is interested in some of the programs or, uh, you know, some of the things that you offer, where can they find that? So if you want to follow me for just my free content, which I would definitely recommend before you decide to buy anything, uh, YouTube, Jordan Syatt, S-Y-A-T-T, Instagram, Syatt Fitness, uh, Twitter, everything, podcast, they're all Google search my name, Jordan, S-Y-A-T-T, it'll come right up. And if, you, if you're thinking about joining the Inner Circle, um, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you this, if you are thinking about joining the Inner Circle and you're specifically listening to this podcast, to Rich's podcast, if you email Rich and Rich, you'll you'll leave your uh, your uh, your email here for everybody. Yep. Then Rich will forward it to me, and I'll make sure everybody who who emails me through Rich will get a free month in the Inner Circle, and then I'll also give uh, Rich a free year in the Inner Circle as well. <laughs> oh, that'd be that'd be amazing. I I just want to help other people, man, because you help people by the thousands on a daily basis, and and uh, you know Shalene Johnson. Do you know Shalene Johnson? Uh, I don't know that name. Okay, uh, I'll have to, I'll have to tell you. Uh, I'll have to talk to you about her another time. But she, she's really big into fitness. She was with Beachbody and all this other stuff, and it was really, really interesting. She said, you know, fitness. She's a businesswoman, but she's like, fitness was my biggest opportunity, so that's what I did. Um, and and you know, and then it opened up a lot of other doors because she blew up. Uh, but it's funny. She says, I stood out from everyone else in fitness because. It wasn't like I just eat, lived, and breathed it. I just kind of lived, and I, I just knew how to foster a community. And, and, and that is really just what I want to drive home. Like, of course, you have insane knowledge, man. Like, you have insane knowledge and all that other stuff, but the approach is very different. And, and it's just like, like I said at the beginning, man, you're just super real. <laughs> and like, you will put on a wig and dance around in tights for TikTok and do some <laughs> crazy shit. Uh, you know, I mean, it, it's, it's just like I feel home, man. So, so again... Uh, anyone listening, uh, I promise you the information is insane and the community is insane. So thank you, Jordan, for, for coming on and everything that you do. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to The Leadership Locker. For more about us, how we can serve you, and for other episodes, please visit richcardonamedia.com backslash podcast. If you liked this episode a lot or a little, Please don't forget to subscribe so that way my guests and I can continue to deliver some heat and get you the knowledge that you want. Don't miss an episode. Please join our Facebook group so you get much more exclusive content. Take care.